John chapter number 11, John 11 this morning, John 11, stand with me if you would for just a little bit as we honor the reading of the word of God, John chapter number 11, going to read a few verses here and then get right into it, Um, I want to talk to you about when God doesn't make sense and I think the longer that you're saved, the more you realize the things the Lord does in our lives, they don't always make sense to us. Uh, I would also say this, if you had a God that always made sense to you, uh, you wouldn't have the God of the Bible. You'd have a God that you kind of made up in your own mind. Uh, You'd have your own logical God, your sensible God, the God that would be limited by your finite mind and your finite resources. And uh, I'm, I'm personally, I'm glad to stand up here this morning and tell you, I've got a God that doesn't always make sense to me, uh, but, uh, but I, I believe him and I, I, I've come to trust in him as the song that we just heard. Look at John chapter 11, starting in verse number one. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he stopped everything he was doing, got an Uber, and got there right away. He abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, said he to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. His disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Keep in mind the last time that he talked about in this passage that Lazarus was mentioned, it said that he is sick. Now the Lord is saying he's sleeping and I'm going to go wake him up. So what do the disciples respond with naturally? Lord, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing, right? When people are sick, they need rest. So in verse number 12, then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then said Jesus to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Looking at the next couple words, it's it's kind of strange. I mean, if you just took it as one thought, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Now, it's not exactly the entire statement, right? But, But just saying, I'm glad... For your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. So he went from, in the disciples' mind, he's sick, to sleeping, to dead. This is a problem. How's the Lord respond? I'm glad for your sakes. That doesn't make sense to me. Does that make sense to you? I mean, he calls him his friend. Obviously, he loves him. That's what it says in the passage. And yet he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, and his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Because, again, why does Thomas say that? Because the last thing you know about going back into that area again is that the Jews are trying to kill Jesus. And so Thomas is going, this is it, we're all going to die. I mean, there's like all kinds of stuff going on in this story. Look at verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Can I just tell you, this does not make sense. Nothing about this. Now, I know if you've read your Bible before, you go, yeah, but it ends well. Yeah, aren't you glad you know how the story ends? But what about being one of the characters in the story? What about when you're the character in the story and God doesn't make sense to you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's help. Brother Tim, if you would.
Amen. Be seated if you would. Going back a couple years, would anyone here uh, agree with me on the fact that 2020 was a weird year? Amen. All right. By, by raising your hand, you are showing you are a sane person by saying 2020 was a, year, a weird year, right? Uh, and, and what took place in 2020? We could look at that and go, man, what a weird year. But at the same time, if you know the Bible and you understand how the story unravels at the end and how the, there has to be a one-world government under a totalitarian regime, and there's one person that, that rises to power named the Antichrist, and the number of his name, and moving away from a, a, a real currency to digital currency, and everything being centralized. You can look at 2020 and everything that's happened since that time, even in our nation, and go, you know what, I don't like it. But at least it makes sense because I know how the story ends. Does that make any sense? I don't like all that stuff. I don't like the loss of freedom. I don't like the intrusion of government, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not preaching from the headlines. I'm not preaching politics. I'm preaching prophecy because that's what the Bible says is going to have to happen. And so you can look at these things and go, look, society's a mess. I was talking to someone this week. They got their car stolen. I said, congratulations, you became one more person that proves that Colorado is the number one state for Grand Theft Auto right now in the union. Celebrate Colorado, everybody. Move to Colorado, get your car stolen, right? And so we can look at society and go, man, what a mess. And at the same time, if you're a born-again child of God, you know that this is not the end for you. You know that you end up in a better place. You know that this is all leading towards something. It's the unraveling of society because we know that's what the Bible says was going to happen in the last days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we get close to these events, there's a part of me that goes, I hate it. There's another part of me that goes, man, let's go. <laughs> Even so, come Lord Jesus, right? You say, why do I have that perspective? Because I know how the story ends. And if you're reading John chapter 11, you're kind of like, Pastor, this is kind of a waste of a message. Lazarus comes back to life. Pastor Adrian, I'm not sure if you went to Bible school and learned this, but, but Lazarus doesn't stay dead. We know that, we understand it, but what about the in-between time? And what about you being one of the characters in this story? Let's say you're Mary or you're Martha or you're the disciples or you're someone else in that crowd and you look at the response of Jesus Christ to the, the, the fact that his friend just died, someone that he loves just died. And you know what they say later on in this chapter? Could not the same man that opened the eyes of the blind, could he not raise this man or keep this man from having died? You say, what are they doing? They're doing exactly what we do. When we're in a situation and God doesn't make sense. And we look at it and go, God, couldn't you have done this? God, couldn't you have done that? God, couldn't you have changed this? I mean, think about this. Look at verse number uh, six. He stood still for two days. Now, if you've got someone that just died as a friend, as a loved one, or someone that's sick, and you've got the opportunity to go see them, and we're going to do the math because later on in the passage, it says it was 15 furlongs from Bethany to Jerusalem. It sounds really far, but it really isn't. And he could have gone in a very quick manner of time, and he could have been there, but he didn't do that. He chose to stay still. From the onlooker standpoint, that makes no sense. And yet it's what he did. You know, it says in Isaiah, my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And to that I say, amen. (laughs) And to that I say also, thank God. I'm glad I have a God that doesn't think like I do. Because I'd be in trouble if I was leaning on my God for my salvation and my restoration and my sanctification, and I'm leaning on him for all that, and he thinks just like I do. He could not help me if he thought just like I did. And yet when God puts his creative mind to work in our lives, we don't always appreciate it because we look at him and go, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're going to show up to somebody, would you show up in a burning bush? I don't think I'd ever think of that. I mean, we think of the burning bush like it's just like it's a thing, right? But, but imagine if God had never done that. Would anybody in society be like, I know how to show up to somebody. Let's show up in a bush that's on fire. I love the story of Gideon and his mighty army. He's got 30,000 men going up against hundreds of thousands, 30,000. You know what God says? Ah, that's too much. Let's dwindle it down. 
and he cuts it down, and, oh, Lord, and the Lord goes, ah, oh, but that's too much, and dwindles it down to 300. If you're Gideon or you're in that army, you're going, Lord, maybe we should do math again <laughs> because this does not make sense. We are 300 going against hundreds of thousands. Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? And you know what you do when you listen? I go, oh, but we know how the story ends. Exactly, but they didn't when they were going through it. Just like you don't when your car is stolen or you have a child that goes wayward or you've got marital strife in your home or you've got a bill that comes in the mail you weren't expecting and you've got all kinds of conflict and all kinds of pressure in life. God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. You know what doesn't make sense? If you're lost without Jesus Christ. You know what makes sense? I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm going to prove that I'm good enough to God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to start giving money to church. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get plugged in. I'll take a discipleship course. I'll do all. And you know what the Lord's saying? I don't, that, that won't work. That won't save you. That won't take away the guilt. That won't take away the sin. The only thing that will do that is the sacrifice that was made on your behalf 2,000 years ago. And the only way to accept that payment for your sins is by faith. Trusting in a man you've never met before physically with your physical eyes, but seeing him with eyes of faith. You say, that does not make sense. Maybe it doesn't, but it's how God works. God does not always do things the way that we would think to be done. Why does God use a former murderer to write half your New Testament? Ask him when you get there. God's methods and God's message and God's men and God's mindset don't always align with us. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We'll come back to the passage in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. God doesn't make sense to us. And, and let me just, again, let me just say this again one more time. Thank God he doesn't make sense to us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But in your personal life, when you're the character in the story and you don't know how the story ends, you don't know that the story ends with Lazarus coming out of that tomb, it causes you to question, who is God? What is he doing? God, you don't make sense. First Corinthians chapter number 1, look if you would at verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? But in us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Skip down if you would. Go down to verse number uh, 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. If you were going to put a powerhouse team together, you'd look for those who are financially stable. They had an education. They had their life together. You know what the Lord does? He gets a tax collector, a doctor, fisherman, and he throws them all together and goes, all right, guys, this is it. And they're looking around going, this is your idea? This is your plan? Those that just graduated discipleship, you may look at yourselves and go, you, Lord, you're going to use us? The answer is absolutely yes. You know why? Because God doesn't do things the way that, he, that we think that he should. God does not always do things that make sense to us. You say, why in the world is that? Look at verse 27. For God chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised have God chosen. And yea, things which are not to bring to not things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. He doesn't do what makes sense to us because he gets glory out of it in the end. And if it made sense to us, we get glory out of it. Can I just point out a couple things? Go back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Just a couple, I think, kind of random uh, uh, things that, that you kind of extract from this passage that are interesting. We know, number one, that he, he stood still for two days when his friend was sick. Uh, in verse 11, we see clearly the Lord is going to go wake him up out of sleep. And uh, again, when someone is sick, my wife knows this, I, I cannot sleep during the daytime. It doesn't matter if I, I sit up all night working, I cannot sleep during the day. I, I just, I don't do it. But if I'm sick and like really sick, you know what she does? She just basically puts yellow tape like a crime scene on the place and goes, leave dad alone. He's almost dead. Let him get some rest. If he comes back to life, right? Uh, you know, the, here, here the Lord goes, I'm going to wake him out of sleep. And then in verse 15, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. That doesn't make sense. In verse 17, he was dead for four days already. You know, what's interesting. Look at verse 18. It mentions that Bethany to Jerusalem is 15 furlongs. That sounds like a long way. You know what the math is on that? 1.875 miles. Less than two miles apart. I have no idea what it is in kilometers, bro. I'm so sorry. All right. But but 1.875 miles from Bethany 
That's not a far way. That's pretty close. That's a stroll, man. You can get there in a couple of minutes. And if you're jogging, maybe a little bit quicker. And if you're first place in your age category, you get there in about 14 minutes, right? Something like that. But the point is this. He wasn't far from where Lazarus was. And he didn't move. He stood still for two days. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And there's, there's two competing interests, I think, sometimes that we don't understand how they can work together. We look at them as competing interests. Look, if you would, at verse number three. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou what? You ever find yourself saying, God, if you love me, why would you? Look, if you would, at verse number four. He heard that, and Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not a death, but for the what? We look at those two things as competing interests. God loves me and God's glory. You know what? They, they're not competing. They work together. The problem is from our perspective, we can't always understand that. And if we did understand everything that God was doing, let me just remind you again, God would be you and you don't want that. So when we look at this story, we see a man that God loves and he cares for this man. And he's, he's his friend, as the Bible says, and he loves him and his sisters. And, and yet at the same time, he doesn't move right away like we would expect him to. When God doesn't make sense, number one, it's because it seems to us he's running behind. You ever look at your life and go, God, let's go. God, let's go. I know we learned about patience last week, but sometimes it's like, God, let's go. God, I'm ready. Are you ready? The Lord's like, you're not ready. But Lord, I've got everything packed. Like, Lord's like, trust me. You ain't ready. You ever been there in life where you're trying to force something and move something, and the Lord's like, hey, let's slow this down. And you go, Lord, this makes no sense to me. You know what David says? Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, for, uh, wilt thou wait forever? Uh, Psalm chapter 13, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Uh, Psalm 35, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? You know what that is? That is David's version of kids saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? What do you parents say when the kids say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, you say, we'll know when we're there. And the kid that's like four is like, I don't even know what there is. They have no concept. And you know what? You look at that kid and go, I know where we're going. I'll tell you right now, we got um, uh, some, some kids in our home. There are, some are more inquisitive than others, and I, they shall not be named, Preston, but that ask a lot of questions, and they, they have to know, like, like when are we going to get there? What are we going to do when we get there? And who's going to be there? And, and what time is this? And what's the schedule? What's the, I'm like, dude, I mean, from the time he was seven years old, he was that. I'm like, bro, you're seven. You don't need to worry about all this stuff. And then I sit there, I, I listen to myself say that, and it's almost like I can hear my Heavenly Father say, how about that? In verse 21 of our passage, can I point out to you what Martha says to the Lord? Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. This chapter gives history about the family. It tells you that he loved all three of them. In verse 3, it says, He whom thou lovest is sick. And, and Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus, almost as if Lazarus was, was among, not the apostles, but one of the disciples for sure. He was in fellowship with them all. And, and yet, Martha, whenever uh, the Lord shows up, you know what she says? Lord, if that's how you felt about it, why weren't you here? Why didn't you show up quicker? Lord, I needed you. <laughs> Ever felt that way? You know what Mary says just a couple of verses later? Look down, if you would, at verse number 32. Verse 32, Mary says the same exact thing. She fell down on his feet, saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And can I point out to you that the Lord does not argue with her, but rather he begins to feel empathy and he feels compassion. And the Bible says he was grieved in his spirit. And I, I think about this because if you look at the last few chapters in John, in John 6, 5,000 people are fed on the spot. In John chapter 8, a woman's caught in adultery and on the spot, she's forgiven. He says, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn thee. In John 9, there's a blind man. Jesus heals him on the spot. In John chapter 10, the chapter prior, Jesus is baptizing and many believe on him right on the spot. So it's all this instant, instant, instant. And then you get to Lazarus. It's like, Lord's like, we're going to take our time here. And it's kind of like, well, why aren't you moving quicker? Or why don't you speed up? You know, when God doesn't make sense to you as a Christian, a lot of times, you know what it is? He's not on your timeline. And you're like, God, you should have been here. 
And the Lord's like, trust me, I was more here than you realize. I'm reminded of Saul in the Old Testament. And Saul is told by Samuel, I'll be here in seven days. And so what does Saul do? Saul takes it upon himself. It was the priest's job. It was Samuel's job to offer up the sacrifice. It was not the king's job. That was forbidden in the Old Testament. And yet the king, King Saul, goes, you know what? It's been seven days and one minute. I'm not waiting any longer. He offers up the sacrifice. Then the priest shows up, and the the prophet Samuel shows up. And you know, he says, Saul, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, listen, let me tell you something, man. I tell you what, I didn't want to do this. I really was waiting on you, but you took too long. And because you took too long, you know what he says? Literally what it says in your King James Bible, I forced myself. I mean, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to break God's law. I made myself do it. You know why? Because you weren't on time. You know what the Lord's trying to teach you there? Sometimes when you don't wait on God and you force something, you do something that makes you lose everything God wants for you down the road. Saul misses out on that entire kingdom. You say, why? Because he basically says to God, Lord, you're running behind, and this makes no sense to me. We got battles to wage. We got kingdoms to build. I've got stuff to do, and here you are, Lord, not showing up. The Lord's like, I've got this under control. But it doesn't make sense to us all the time, does it? Lazarus is still dead at this point, and everybody's really good. Everyone in uniform, even though they're not even in the same place, they're all telling the Lord the same thing. If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. You know? All right, you husbands ever come home and you can just tell things aren't right? You walk in the house and the wife's got that look on her face and, you know, the child's got that look on their face, you know, and, and you're like, hey, honey, I'm home. And, and everyone's kind of looking at you like, you know, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened, you know? But that's kind of how everyone's treating the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd been here, if you'd been, almost like the Lord doesn't know what he's doing. You see, the Lord's timeline is exactly perfect. The problem is we're not on his timeline. We're on our timeline, and we expect the Lord to catch up with us instead of us wait on him. You know what it says in 1 Samuel 13? There was an appointed time for the priest to come and do that. Can I say this? There's an appointed time for the things that God wants to do in your life. And by the way, if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you've got an appointment as well. It is appointed in men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, preacher, you say that to scare me? Not at all. I'm just stating a fact. I don't care whether it scares you or not. Whether it moves you emotionally or not, you are going to meet with God someday. You've got that appointment, God has scheduled it, and you don't know what it is, and you don't have power to keep yourself on this earth 10 more years than the very moment that God says, time's up. We might even look at people that die, and we look at them and go, man, uh, it was way too soon, and all that kind of stuff. We could, you say, why? We're not where he's at. Timing's everything. Getting ahead of God is a very, very poor mistake. You say, what did they do? They all thought that the Lord was behind. and It didn't make sense to them. Can I say this secondly? When God doesn't make sense, it's because I think he's trying to help us face the reality in the present. Look at verse 14. You know, I I hear this from a lot of Christians. I could have. I should have. If only I got saved when I was younger. If only I'd gotten right with God years ago. If only I'd raised my kids better. If only, I, so on, if only I knew what the Bible said about marriage years ago. Listen, that doesn't matter now. <laughs> now you've got to look at the, the situation. You go, Lazarus is dead. Lord, I wish he wasn't dead. Yeah, I do too, but that's not how it works. He's dead. And look, I don't, I don't want to get away from the reality that, look, you, you can either deal with regret or deal with discipline in your life. When you discipline yourself, you have less regret. When you re- have regrets, it's because you had no, uh, not a lot, enough discipline in your life. There's no doubt about that. But that aside, there are things that happen in life that we don't always control. And we wish it would have been different. Can I say it like this? Uh, The Lord approaches Saul. I'm not trying to pick on Saul this morning, but he's just a great illustration of this. And he says, hey, because of you getting ahead of me, I'm going to take the kingdom and give it to somebody else. And you can respond to that in one of two ways. You can go, shouldn't have been that way. Wish I hadn't. You know what you end up doing when you do that? You end up throwing spears at innocent people. You know what Saul did? He threw spears at innocent people like David. Rather than look in the mirror and go, I can't change what I did. But in Christ, I'm a new creature today, 
and I'm going to quit talking about my past and quit living in the mistakes of my past and quit talking about things that are dead that I can't bring back to life without the Lord. Is this making any sense? There are things that I look at, I wish that was life, but it's not alive. It's not there. That's in the past, and therefore, it's dead. I don't like it, Lord. That's fine, but you have to face it. You know what Paul says? He says, not as though I'd already attained it or already perfect, but I, I follow after it that I may apprehend for that which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. You know he talks about? Forgetting things that are back there and reaching forth and pressing toward the mark. You say, what is that? Someone that acknowledges the past is dead. I can't change that. Lazarus is dead. Lord, it doesn't make sense. The Lord may be trying to get you to just see where things are really at in your life. Instead of wishing and hoping and dreaming of a life that is not. You see why? Because you can't fix where you're at if you don't recognize that this is where you're at. Does this make sense? Can I say this? Sometimes the Lord doesn't make sense because your faith needs to be tested. Look, if you would, at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. What a statement that is. And I don't think Martha grabs half of what the Lord is saying right there. You say, why? She doesn't have the whole book. We know the end of the story. We know that someday he himself faces the jaws of death and of hell, and he overcomes it, thank God, and he reigns over death, and we have victory in Jesus Christ, and we will rise just like him someday. Why? Because he is the resurrection and life. He makes that statement to Martha, and I don't, I don't know that she grasps all of it, but look at what he says. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Here's the question. Do you believe it? Can I say this? It's really easy to say you believe things when things are going the way you want them to. Sometimes the Lord puts you in a situation in your life that you just look at and go, I don't like it. I wish it wasn't this way. I've got to face the reality. And God, if you'd been here and things could have been different, and I don't know why. And sometimes the Lord allows all of that simply to get you to go to a place where you go, you know what? I've been saying my whole life, I believe this. Now I'm being tested with it. And I think one of the challenges when you first, when you first get saved, everything's new and, and, and it's all fresh and, and the Lord's exciting. And after a while, you kind of get in the rhythm of church and if you're not careful, it becomes a ritual. And, and I'll tell you, if there ever was something that I would say, watch out to, to those who were raised in church their entire lives, those that might consider themselves second generation Christians, is that you spend so much time just in the environment, in the aquarium, so to speak, that you don't realize that God wants to work in your life just like he did your parents' lives. He wants to test your faith just like he did theirs. It's easy to say what you would do in a certain situation until you're there. <laughs> you know, I would do this. Well, if I was, I love it when some guy who hasn't played a sport in 20 years is sitting on the couch, you know, he's got his feet up in the lazy boy. You idiot! I would have thrown it to that guy. Well, you moron, you've got the whole screen. You can see the whole thing. And by the way, if you were out there with the pads on, you probably couldn't get it 10 yards down the field. It's easy to say what you would do until you're in that situation. You know, Martha says, Lord, you're right. I don't understand it, but you're right. You know, Peter says, the Lord tells him, all are going to be offended in me. And you know, Peter says, Lord, I won't be. Lord, I'll stand by you no matter what. I'm never leaving this church. Let me tell you something. When someone tells me, Pastor Adrian, uh, don't worry about offending me. You'll never offend me. I'm always like, they're already offended. <laughs> and they'll be gone in six months. You say, why? It's just, about, I don't know why it is, but someone that feels the need to tell you, you'll never offend me. Usually someone that gets offended easily. And so Peter's like, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter what they do. I'm going to be there to the bitter end, Lord. I'm with you. And I don't care what those other disciples do. They don't have the courage that I do. And so you know what? Peter, you, you get Jesus Christ there at the, in the garden. They come to, betray, to, to arrest him. And what does Peter do? Peter cuts the guy's ear off. And then the Lord says, hey, put that up. And what does Peter do? He's gone. Then we pick up, pick up a story where he's sitting by a fire. And what does he do? He does exactly what he said he would never do. He denies the Lord. I'll lay down my life for thy sake. Well, eventually he does get to do that, but 
doesn't quite turn out that way when Peter thought it would. Why? Because your faith is going to be tested. When God doesn't make sense, sometimes that's what it's about. Let me ask you a question. If it wasn't for the Lord, would you actually grow in your faith? No, you would not. You know what you would do? God, just give me what I want. Give it to me when I want it. And it, you know what that need? That requires zero faith. That just requires you saying, God, give me what I want, and God gives it to you. Where's the faith in that? How do you help somebody else who is to grow in their faith when you've never been tested? The, the, the reason why God doesn't make sense to sometimes is because the Lord's going, I want to test your faith. You know what the Bible says? The devil, the Lord warns Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The devil wants to sift you and God wants to refine you. And the hard, the reality is this. We don't always understand the difference between the two. And you know what? I'll just throw this out there. Sometimes it's hard to discern because the very moment that the devil's trying to sift us is also the same moment that God says he'll use that situation, listen to me, to refine you. So what happens later in Peter's life? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Why? Just checking your faith. How does, how does Thomas go from, I won't believe unless I see the prints and the nails? He goes from that to my Lord and my God. Those confessions mean something. I like it when Job says, if God was here, I'd ask him this and I'd ask him this and the Lord shows up and Job just falls down. You say, why? Because in your mind, you, you think you're a certain person until you're there. Faith has substance to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And faith requires obedience. Can I say this? We've got a lot of churches filled with a lot of Christians with intellectual faith. But it's useless. Because they're not allowing God to test them. They're not allowing God to just make no sense in their mind. Anybody ever taken a, a job and you go through the training... You sit down for a week or a couple of days. You do the OSHA thing if you're in an industrial thing and you know industrial kind of environment, or maybe it's computer training. Brother James, I know you do some of that for your job, and and there's all this training that, that you do right up front, and then you start the job, and then you start doing the work. And you're like, wait, what was it I'm supposed to do here? Anybody ever been there before? And so they make you do stuff over and over, and a- a- after a while, like, oh, I've done that before. Yeah, stop doing it and see if you can remember it in six months. You won't. That's why the Bible gives you church to get the, 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 the concept training and then God sends you out there into a sin-cursed world where God doesn't always make sense so you get the on-the-job training so you can be effective in your faith. Can I point out, look if you would at verse 39 in our passage. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Now, let me just remind you, he's been dead for four days. And one of the comments that's made in this passage in this passage is this, Lord, by this time he stinketh. That's the verse I want to put over the cabin for the teen boys going to summer camp. <laughs> by this time they stinketh, right? Like like, like th- th- there's there's something behind that stone you don't want to smell. So you know what we do spiritually oftentimes? Let me just put on some spiritual axe body spray. Let me just cover myself. Let, let me just tell you right now, if you're not showering and you're not putting on deodorant, you can put on the spray you want, and you know it's going to smell like, like a latrine with perfume added to it. <laughs> Why? Because you're just covering up something. You're not dealing with the thing. So the Lord tells them, move the stone. And in our minds, like, ooh, I wish I could be there. You really want to be the guy that's pushing the stone back and gets a whiff of that the first time? You ever think about this? I mean, someone's got to be the person that pushed that stone out of the way and goes... Mmm, smell that four-day death smell. <laughs> Can I say this? It takes some faith to obey the Lord, to roll that stone away. Can, can I go a step further than that? Can, can, I, can I tell you that they eventually have to do something that's a little bit out of their comfort zone? Look, if you would, at verse number 44. Verse 44. Sometimes the Lord doesn't make sense because He wants us to get out of our comfort zone. You know what my job is? Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Amen. That's what preaching is supposed to do. Uh, you know what the Lord tells them? Look if you would at verse number 44. Verse 44. And he that was dead came forth. So you know what the Lord does in verse 43? Lazarus, come forth. And, and I can just imagine it. You're like, oh, I wish I could be there. Well, look at verse 44. Someone's got to be the sucker that takes the grave clothes that have been on a dead body for four days. 
and unravel that. Oh, I wish I could be there. Are you sure? I kind of like reading it in my Bible from this perspective without smelling all of that. And someone had to be the person that got out of their comfort zone when the Lord says, all right, I need someone to go ahead and unbind him and loose him. Well, that sounds glorious until you're literally taking off the grave clothes of a guy that's been dead for four days. I'm like, what do you do? Bro, we're so happy to see you. You desperately need a shower. (laughs) You know what the Lord wants to do in your life? He wants to get you out of your comfort zone. It may get you to a place where you're handling some people's grave clothes and you don't really like it a whole lot, and it kind of makes you a little bit uneasy, and the smell isn't always exactly what you want. And the Lord's going to say, yeah, but let's think about this. If I'm there, you know, I would have said, if the Lord looked at me, and he goes, uh, go ahead, I want you to go ahead and un- unravel this man. Well, all right, let's just say Joe's been dead for four days. And the Lord says, I want you to unravel Joe's grave clothes. All right, wouldn't you kind of look back at me and go, hey, since you were strong enough to like rise him from the dead, do you want to do that as well? And just like make it all come off magically, you know, that'd be great. And yet that's not what the Lord does. You say, why? The Lord did not put him in that tomb. The Lord did not put those grave clothes on him. People did that. Society did that. We had a part in that. You say, what is it? It's sin. It's our nature. It's our problems. It's our issues. You know, the Lord says, I want you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I want you to go there and I want you to loose him. You say, why? Because let's say that the Lord brings Lazarus back to life. Then Lazarus comes out, mm, you know, like the typical mummy zombie type thing, you know, and, and, and he's back to life. Everybody's, yeah, you know, in the background, they don't stop, believe it. Everyone's all excited, you know, and, and, and here comes this dead guy at the tomb. Everyone's all excited, yeah, let's have a party. The Lord's like, uh, you guys, guys, you're forgetting something. He can't talk yet. He can't see yet. But Lord, did you bring him back? Yeah, but you, you, I want you to help him get to a place where his life is useful again. Can I say this? Some of those grave clothes are kind of a picture of the old life. Maybe it's the junk you're putting in your mind. Maybe it's old music, an old mentality. Maybe it's emotional, spiritual junk food that's keeping you bound up. But can I say this? The Lord doesn't want it on you forever. It's supposed to come off. You know, Moses was not by nature. He wasn't a speaker, but he became one. David was not a fighter. I could see David kind of like a Latin, a Latin lover. I am not a fighter. I am a lover. <laughs> I mean, you read the Psalms, you know. He's kind of artsy, you know. You don't expect a guy that writes the Psalms to, like, cut people's heads off. And yet there's David. Peter wasn't a student, but he became one. And God got Peter out of his comfort zone when he said, thrust out a little from the land and launch out into the deep. You know, Peter could have said, I'm stuck on the shore. I'm stuck in my ways, and I'm stuck with my net, but the Lord said, let it go. You see, what are those things? They're grave clothes. They're things that need to come off. You see, what does that do to us? It gets us out of our comfort zone, and whether it's us helping somebody else take it off, or it's us realizing I still got grave clothes on me, and they need to come off, it just kind of gets us to a place. I don't know if I want to do that, Lord. Yeah, and that's why I don't make sense to you, because you're still wearing grave clothes after being saved for 20 years. And if you walk out of here and think I'm talking about your physical demeanor, I'm not just talking about the clothes, the physical clothes you wear. I think there's deeper, more meaningful issues in your life than the clothes that you put on. It's the persona. It's the identity. It's the way you think. It's the way you respond to life. It's all the emotional baggage from the old life that you will not let go. The Lord says it's time to take it off. Look, if you would, at verse number 44. Jesus says to them, loose him and let him go. And I love verse 45. You see, what was this all about? I got a, I got a kind of a humbling thought for you. If you're Mary or if you're Martha or even if you're Lazarus, can you imagine like, oh, like coming back from the dead and then someone takes the grave clothes off your eyes and all of a sudden you see Jesus and you know it was his voice that brought you back to life. A couple of thoughts have raced through your mind. Thought number one, He's exactly who I thought he was. He's the son of God. Thought number two, after the gratitude kind of settles, why'd you wait? I mean, seriously, if I'm Lazarus, I'd be like, uh, you could have been here. What, 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 what was the deal? 
Lord, you, if, if you'd been here, I wouldn't have had to go through any of this. And, and Lord, now I think I've got to go take a shower and, and all this. Kind of, but, you know, you would think to yourself that really, if you're Lazarus, let's be honest, the entire story is about you, right? If you're Lazarus. If you're Mary, it's all about what you're going through and how your brother died. If you're Martha, same thing. And yet, can I point out in verse 45 that it really wasn't just about them? Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, what are the next three words? Sometimes God doesn't make sense so he can point others to himself through our lives. And we don't understand it in the moment and it doesn't make sense to us. Can I, can I encourage you to consider this thought? The Gospel of John does not end in John chapter 11. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. If you've got your Bible open, you can see there's a chapter 12. You don't always consider what's going to happen in the next chapter when you're going through something. Does that make sense? Look, if you would, at John chapter 12 and verse number 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, in case you're missing who he is. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. You know what that might, if you're sitting there and you hear that there's a feast and the guy that was dead is now back to life sitting at that table and the guy that brought that dead guy back to life is also sitting at that, at that table, you might go, I want to go see that dinner. I want to go be a part of that meal. You might be a little interested in observing what happens at that dinner. Look, if you would, at verse number 9, same passage. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might, that they might see who? Lazarus. See, Lazarus, it wasn't just about you the whole time. It was about the Lord. Look, if you would, at verse 17, the people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, what are the next two words? See, when the Lord doesn't make sense in your life, you know what you go, well, Lord, why me and why this? And, and, and you, don't, you can't always see what the Lord's trying to do. He's trying to reach someone over here. Well, Lord, that doesn't seem fair. Do you want to be used of God or not? Everyone says, Lord, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Until the Lord's like, go. Then you're like, I think you meant Steon, not me. Well, uh, Lord, I, I'm sure you meant somebody else because right now is not convenient. Lord, I, I just, uh, Lord, this would mess things up for me. I've gotten, and the Lord's like, do you want me to use you or not? Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. But Lord, I, I want to do it this way. And the Lord's like, it, it doesn't make sense because you can't see the other parties I'm trying to reach through your life. I saw these disciples who graduates up here. You know what I thought about? Who are the people that God's going to use? Or who are the people that, that, that the Lord's going to reach through them being used of God? Can I say this? If you're lost without Jesus Christ, it may not make sense that your ticket to heaven relies on someone besides you. You can't earn it and you can't pay for it. All you can do is receive a free gift. And you, if you're lost, you may go, well, I have to do something. I got Religion teaches me that my good has to outweigh my bad. First off, I'm not sure you could ever do that, but if you could, uh, let me just say it like this. What about the bad? How does that take the bad away the answer is it doesn't only by the blood of jesus christ are we cleansed from our sin you may go that doesn't make sense to me yeah but it's true and you can either bow the knee today or you can bow the knee someday in the future but i'm gonna tell you right now it'd be much better for you to bow the knee right now in a place that doesn't make sense in your life you say what's that it's called faith and god can save your soul and change your life just like the testimonies of those that were up here earlier, if you're a born-again child of God, can I say it like this? The Lord doesn't always need to make sense. You need to believe Him by faith. And you need to understand, let me say it very generously and graciously, as graciously as I can, it's not all about us. It's about Him and those that He wants to reach through us. You, if you're saved, you are here right now because somebody reached you. And you may not even be aware of all the things God was doing in their life to get them to a place where you could be reached, but here you are. It's time to quit saying, God, you don't make sense. And it's time to start saying, God, 
You don't make sense, but let's go. Let's all stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that this time of invitation would be a serious time, Lord, that we could evaluate some things and look at where things are sincerely and genuinely at in our lives. Lord, I pray if there's some grave clothes that need to come off, they'd come off. Lord, I pray if there's some ministering that needs to take place, there'd be some ministering that takes place. Lord, if there's some just lack of, of awareness spiritually and eternally in our lives to, to recognize your work, even when it doesn't make sense, Lord, that you would bring that to life to us today. Lord, I, I pray that every one of your children, every born-again child of God, would get to a place today where they're excited to see you work even when it doesn't make sense. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Christian, your Heavenly Father loves you and He wants to use you and He wants to work in your life, but it's not always going to make sense. And you need to yield to that. I can look back over my life, see some amazing things that God did. In the midst of those situations, I didn't always understand it. If I'm being honest, there were times where I got angry with God. Or maybe I was tempted to get bitter with the Lord. But He's such a good Father. Lord, I just want to go on record as saying thank you. for doing exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my family. Thank you that your ways are higher than ours. have started this church if it wasn't for the Lord doing some things in my life that the time didn't make sense and if I'm being honest I was bitter with God for some time because I couldn't see what he could see good father if you're here and you're a born again child of God and you know it would you raise your hand and by raising your hand you're testifying that you know that there was a time when you went from death to life you passed from darkness to light the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. You know you're a born again child of God. You know you're saved. Hands went up all over the place. It's pretty much what I expected, but if you're here and you've never been saved, you're not a born again child of God with no one looking around, heads are bowed and eyes are closed for the sake of privacy, for the sake of being able to do business with God as individuals. I'll ask this question. If you're here and you couldn't raise your hand, you're not sure what it means to be saved, you're not sure that you are saved, with no one looking around, can I, can I ask a simple question? Would you be honest enough with God and with yourself to just very briefly slip your hand up? I'm not going to point you out, but I'd like to be able to pray for you. Is there anybody here like that? I can't, I appreciate that. I can't force you. I wouldn't want to do it. It's not how it works. Appreciate the honesty. But I'll, I'll say this. The greatest 
I don't even know how to put it into words except for to say everything I am today is because of Jesus Christ. The world is uh, going to you know where in a handbasket real fast. And I'll say this, if there's anybody else that didn't have the courage to raise their hand, I want to invite you after we close the service to please come see me. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go downstairs. If you're here and you're visiting, I, I don't mean to. Uh, normally I like to stand in the back and, and, and greet folks and visit with them. Uh, there'll be a happy face back there. Sean will be back there. He'll be glad to give you lots of tracks. Amen. But I'm going to go downstairs, and if you would like to learn about how to be saved, I encourage you to meet me down there. I'd like to open up a Bible and show you how you can be saved, how you can know you're saved, how you can know heaven's your home and that God is your Father. And even when God doesn't make sense after you're saved, there's one thing that you'll know for sure. You will know that you are a child of God. You will know that your sins are forgiven and they're behind His back. You will know that heaven is your home. When you take that last breath and that breath expires from your body that last time, that your soul will not be in limbo, your soul will not be in purgatory, your soul will be in the very presence of God, cleansed and made clean, wearing the white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints, before the throne of God. We'd love to have you lead today with that assurance. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for hearing the word of God. I pray it made a difference in your life and in your heart. And uh, for those that are in Vacation Bible School volunteering, stick around. Uh, some of us won't make it today due to our discipleship graduation lunch. Um, if you're going out to lunch, you should already have the details for that. Um, but we'd like to invite you back Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Uh, that is our midweek Bible study. Uh, wrapped up our series on uh, social media. Hopefully that was a help to you. May do a little review in that area. Uh, I'm, I'm debating what topic we're going into next, but be here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, and uh, we'll dig deep in the Word of God together. And uh, again, uh, teen event tonight, 6.30, here at the church, 4.30, college and career at uh, Brother Steon's place. If you're homeschooled and you're toward the end of your high school, you're probably like, I don't know if I'm in college and career or if I'm still in teen class, right? Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, go to one of them. Have fun, right? Uh, but uh, anyways, we'll dismiss in a word of prayer. If you are here and you'd like to be saved, I want to encourage you to meet me downstairs. We'll have a little bit more privacy there, and we'll love to open up the Bible and show you what it means to be saved. Let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, Brother Steon, if you would, uh, dismiss us in a word of prayer, sir.